Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Michael Footer. And I'm Amanda Farrow. On each episode, we'll bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. This is episode 169. The AAA video game industry is in freefall. Man, that was obviously apparent this week. Uh, yeah, and we'll Last talk week, all about this that. Month. So uh, just to give you a heads up, and we flagged this in the, uh, in the Virtual Economy Discord server, uh, this episode is going to be tough. This has been a really, really difficult week. Um, we do have some, some good news in here. Uh, so that'll be, we have some things in investment that are, that are some good news. Yep. But the labor report is voluminous. Uh, and as you can hear, at least in my voice, our eldest brought us home something, uh, special from college. So when we get to quick hits, that's going to be a journey. Uh, but Mike was telling me that apparently I need to sing it this week. I think you should. I, I don't sing for people. <clears throat> You're a former semi-professional singer. You know what I did? What? Karaoke. Yeah. Well, right now I'm the king of vocal fry. Isn't that normally my thing? No, you're as the king a of millennial? vocal bender. <sighs> wow. All right. Well, yep. you know what we do have first up, though? Sirkana. Yeah, so it is that time again. We are kicking off the brand new year of reporting from Circana on the U.S. video game spending. A um, couple things to note, or one thing to note up front, is that typically these reports are four-week periods, although because of the way the, the year shakes out, I think there's like two five-week periods in the year. Just so happens that January is a five-week period. Mm, interesting. So uh, that is going to skew things a little bit. But uh, with all of that, total spending has increased year over year in January by 15% to $5.069 billion. Now, hardware took a post-holiday dip, dropping 4% year over year to $378 million. And this comes as the Switch trucks through its end of life for what seems to be another full year plus. We talked about that last week. Oh, goodness. Uh, Xbox sales increased in January, but not enough to offset drops on other platforms. PlayStation 5 took the lead. In terms of both units and dollars, Switch was second in terms of unit sales, and the Xbox Series consoles were second in terms of dollar sales. PlayStation 5 sales are now tracking 7% ahead of PlayStation 4 and 68% ahead of PS3. That's very interesting to me. I guess PS3 was a really strange console generation it was. for PlayStation. It absolutely was. And a piece of that is the pricing gaffe that Sony made at the start of the PlayStation 3 era that let Microsoft pretty much have the lead up until the very, very end of the generation, like after the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 had launched. Right. Okay, so moving right into software spend. So content spending jumped a ton year over year with a 15% increase to $4.45 billion dollars. It was a strong month for new game releases, but Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 led the month yet again, holding steady at number one. Tekken 8, which is fantastic, debuted at number two. Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League launched at number three, despite underperforming for WBIE. Yes. Uh, Persona 3 Reload evoked itself at number four. Oh, man. Mikey. I, I apologize for nothing. Madden NFL 24 dropped from 3 to 5. Hogwarts Legacy dropped from number 4 to number 6. 
Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth kicked off at number seven, See reminding it. me yet again, I need to play the Yakuza games. Yes, you do. Uh, EA Sports FC 24 dipped from number seven to number eight. The Last of Us Part 2 absolutely skyrocketed up from 167 to number 9 due to the PlayStation 5 release. And Marvel's Spider-Man 2 dropped from number 5 to number 10, and we'll talk about that twice later in this episode. We will indeed. Some other notables for you. Avatar Frontiers of Pandora dropped from 6 to 12. Prince of Persia The Lost Crown debuted at number 13. Respectable. You know what? I do. That's another game that I do need to play. Yes. Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Cursed Clash debuted at number 19. Let's take a look at mobile. So mobile actually saw some significant recovery in January with mobile spending increasing 5% year over year. You know, that's good. Yeah. That's good. It is it is its own creature in gaming, right? We see it all the time. Mobile development and design is very different than console and PC development. So, you know, I love to, I love to see the... I love to see it. Yep. So our top 10 games for the month of January include Monopoly Go, which I'm still loving. Haven't mm. spent a dime in. That's great. I've, I've just been enjoying it. It is very, like, joyful, mindless nonsense. Uh, Royal Match, number two, followed by Roblox, Candy Crush, Coin Master, Township, Whiteout Survival, Jackpot Party, Casino Slots, Clash of Clans is in there, and Pokemon Go is rounding us out at number 10. So Township and Whiteout Survival are the notables here, both jumping up significantly. <laughs> Townships, jump, Townships jump can be attributed to an in-game event, and apparently Whiteout Survival is brand new, and it's one to keep an eye on. It is a 4X strategy game from Century Games. She makes note of to download after the show. <coughs> All right. Uh, Sarkana has started reporting engagement, which I find very interesting. Love that. So they're reporting MAU rankings. That's monthly active user rankings across platforms. And we're, we're just going to call it the notables. We're not going to go through every ranking. Uh, Pal World debuted as the number three game on Xbox behind Fortnite and Call of Duty. And it was also the top played game on Steam for January. Evil West dropped into the top 10 on PlayStation thanks to its presence on the PlayStation Plus Essentials. Yep. So that's the bottom tier. So everybody was able to claim that last month. Uh, likewise, Hell Let Loose rocketed into the top 10 on Xbox thanks to Game Pass inclusion. Enshrouded, another survival crafting game, which we've been enjoying, mm -hmm. we've, we're checking it out right now, launched on Steam and took the number 7 spot on that platform for MAUs. Rounding out this month's Arcana report, accessory spending jumped 45% year-over-year to $246 million in January. Gamepad spending was up 50%, and the DualSense Edge was the best seller for the month in the category. This month marks a shift for the PlayStation Portal handheld from the cat from the hardware category to the accessory category. It placed fifth. And that's everything at the top of the show. Moving on to Investment Interlude, where we talk about money, money, money. Money! Yeah. Yeah, I'm saying today, apparently. We're doing it. Yeah. Uh, all right. There's a new NetEase studio. I think this is the fourth one they've announced in three or four months. Yeah, seriously. Um, this is a new studio called Bullet Farm. It's being led by former studio design director on Call of Duty at Treyarch. Uh... David Vonderhaar. Oh, okay. Whose name I didn't actually put in the notes, but thankfully I remembered. <laughs> I'm really glad you remembered because I remember reading that press release and I don't remember names. Yeah. Ever. Um, it's a remote first studio. It will have an LA presence. Uh, so they will have a physical presence in, in uh, physical headquarters in LA. Uh, their first game is a co-op first person shooter made in UE5. Co-op is very interesting. Now, remember, he was at Treyarch. 
Treyarch mm-hmm. was known for zombies. Yes. So this, just something to remember as we think about this studio. So co-op is not brand new for Vonderhaar and the work that he's led. Uh, but it is, of course, when people think Call of Duty, they don't often think co-op. That's true. They tend to think single player or competitive. Yep. All right. Uh, interesting one this week. Remedy has announced the purchase of the IP rights to the Control franchise from 505 Parent Digital Bros. That's super cool. So I want to actually give some interesting context here. Mm-hmm. When 505 and Remedy announced the deal to publish Control, it was one of the most transparent publishing deals that we had ever seen. It really was. We and reported it, on it. We did. Uh, I actually wrote about it in my book, because uh, in the first book, the Game Dev Business Handbook, because okay. it happened at the time. And I was so excited because they announced the entire thing. It was super cool. It was. And they talked about how the money was going to flow and who was going to control the IP and all of that. Um, very, very cool here. Um, unfortunately, this is likely due to 505 Games' parent digital bros struggling a bit. In fact, I didn't actually put it in the show notes. I'll mention it here. They closed a number of offices in Europe this week as well. They're going through a 30% uh, downsizing, they announced, uh, which we covered a number of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so they are struggling a little bit. Uh, uh, but if it's 30%, they're struggling a lot of it. And closing offices. Yes. So now Remedy owns the control series. They The net price was 15.7 million euros. And the reason why you're seeing that number reported as 17 million is because the cash flows are really interesting here. Um, there are some deals that are going to survive this moment that 505 is going to still be the recipient of revenue and they're still going to get a cut. So the money is going to flow in a way that is not typically standard in a situation like this. So the net on this is probably about 15.7 million. Uh, even though Remedy is likely paying 17 million and then 505 is going to have to give them some money back, but it nets out. Okay, right. So cash flow. Yeah, it's a cash flow thing. And that's actually in Remedy's piece of this. They, they go into, in a blog post or an investor post, they go into the details here a little bit about that, yeah, there's some cash flow issues here that are going to make this net out to a number different than what you're seeing. Mm. Uh, it's going to be paid in three installments over the coming 12 months. Um, Remedy is still evaluating what to do. Uh, and I saw Thomas Puha, who is, I believe, head of communications over at Remedy. Love him. Um, talking about how, hey, we're not sure what we're going to do. We might self-publish. We might we're go- we might look for investors. And it's for two games. Condor, which we believe is, I think they've announced is the multiplayer game set in the Control universe. Correct. Which I guess is the Remedy cinematic universe or whatever remedy unified universe I, I can't remember exactly what they're calling it the remedies the sam lake the sam lakesphere the sam lakesphere is possibly my favorite way that i've heard it put <laughs> uh and of course control too mm-hmm. um the studio is considering self-publishing uh they are going to shop it around we'll see where it all nets out sure Makes uh good thankfully sense. with the success of alan wake too remedy does have more leverage now and while studio representatives have thanked 505 and expressed gratitude for helping bring control to market and i do believe that without 505 control might not have made it to market Remedy was in a situation where they did need a publishing partner. They did. We can't forget how 505 did bungle the new gen release oh, of man. Control and how, what a nightmare that was. That was so brutal. And if y'all want to go back in time and go listen to those episodes, those are probably, are those from like 2021? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it was 2021 when we talked about that. So yeah, once upon a time. It's yeah. weird. We're in year four of this podcast. Yeah, weird. Whoa. Uh, so that's that. I'm really excited. Everybody knows if you've listened to the show, how much I love remedy, how much I love Sam. I love the team there. Uh, so love to see them succeed. The uh, Sam Lakesphere. The Sam Lakesphere. Uh, it is unfortunate. This is likely coming on the back of a situation that, um, 
yeah, this is coming in a really unfortunate situation for 505. Yeah. And, and you hate to see that. Um, the interesting thing is, as I was reading through the earnings to try to get a sense of, you know, what motivated this. One of the things that I did see is that they they, that they still have a relationship with Starbreeze. So there's mm. some money flowing there as well. I think they made a loan to Starbreeze. Oh, right. So, when they were in their restructuring. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot of interconnected stuff. And in fact, what we're seeing here reminded me of Starbreeze and the deaccessioning that Starbreeze had to go through in order to shore up its own foundation, which I'm going to look, look, silver lining here. Starbreeze has pulled through. We are seeing them recover. I hope that the same thing happens for Digital Bros in 505. Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of great people at, uh, especially at 505. Yeah. So, because I, I don't know really anyone else at Digital no, Bros. No, the funny thing was until I started covering earnings, like 505 was a name I recognized. Digital Bros, until I really started looking into their earnings a number of years ago, it's like, oh, I didn't even realize 505 had a parent company. Yeah. So. One of those things, right? Yep. All right. So next up is, next up we're going to talk about GamerSafer. Not something that I'd heard before, but GamerSafer has acquired the Minehut server community from Super League. So Minehut was started in 2015 and has amassed millions of players over the last nine years and currently has over 500,000 MAUs. So Super League acquired Minehut in 2022. And just like a little bit of background on GamerSafer, because I thought it was really interesting. They're a very, very interesting company. So GamerSafer provides like this end-to-end -end solution that apparently protects players, quote, on every step of their experience, keeping them safe before the game, while the game's running, when the game is done. So they do things like create um, safe login, age assurance to making sure that everybody's over the age of 13, looking at player insights. This one I thought was really cool. They actually do platform governance and compliance, which I mm. thought was really interesting. Integrated uh, two-factor authentication, and then for children accounts, providing a parent control dashboard. So this is a really good fit for Minehut going over to GamerSafer um, because it's primarily geared towards uh, younger Minecraft players and trust and safety as a result is exceedingly important. Got it. Cool. I was just looking something up because I, I couldn't remember uh, Epic had just spun off a company and it was super awesome. Not yeah, Super League. Not Super League. Super League has been its own thing for a long time. All right, cool. Interesting. Uh, all right, moving on. We heard rumors of this buzzing around DICE, uh, but Bloomberg is reporting that a group of private investors are poised to purchase Saber Interactive from Embracer Group for a purchase price of $500 million. The sale includes options for Saber's subsidiaries and the rights to continue work on the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic remake that was originally in development at Saber subsidiary Aspire. So Saber owns New World Interactive. Correct. Sandbox Strategies, yep. which is a PR firm. We have a lot of friends there. Yep. Uh, they also uh, own Aspire, and I think there's a couple and of others. Demiurge. And Demiurge, right. So there's studios that are underneath. Now, when Saber was purchased, as you pointed out to me yesterday when we were talking about this, it was just purchasing a it studio. Was just, it was just purchasing Saber, and while Saber was very large in the sense that they've been around for a number of years, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I, I think I covered this over at Game Daily. I had a really wonderful exclusive interview with, with, Matt. with Matt Karch um, before all of this had even happened. And they were very focused on like co-development and doing cool license games and that kind of stuff. And they had been very successful at that. Yep. And so when they were purchased, 
in 2020. They became one of what became Embracer's 11 or 12 business units. They were, I think they were one of the first. They were one of the first because it was, it was Sabre and THQ, THQ Nordic. I think is Tripwire underneath Sabre also? Or is Tripwire underneath Gearbox? I think Tripwire might be under Gearbox. Yeah. But at, anyway, can continue. Uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up after. So just as a quick reminder, uh, Embracer was in, in debt of more than $2 billion that it was hoping to fix with its second investment from Saudi Arabia. <sighs> that fell through, which knocked over all the domino- dominoes of Embracer's hastily built empire. So Embracer was purchased, as you mentioned, in 2020. They did, yeah. For $525 million. And this is yep. before all these subsidiaries. So this is a purchase price. They're buying it back for $25 million less than Embracer bought it for. Um, this is, in fact, a fire sale. This this would, if this goes through the way it, it, we expect it will, it'll be about a third of the debt that Embracer has left. They still have $1.5 billion. Uh, there are also reports from Kotaku that Gearbox's rumored departure from Embracer will be formalized next month. Uh According to uh, internal uh, conversations, I think that uh, they had a town hall at Gearbox that uh, stated in the report that there were three options at play. One, staying with Embracer. One, a private buyout so that uh, Gearbox would become independent again. And the third is a sale. Um, now, this is the thing that I'm thinking about. Depending on who it is that purchased them, and we heard some rumors at Dice that I'm not going to repeat here on the show because nope. they were rumors. Um if it's someone who potentially laid off hundreds or more recently, the optics on purchasing a studio like Gearbox right now, it's extremely ugly. It's not good. Yep. Speaking of independence, though, um, this was fantastic yeah, news. Yeah, as we said, there's some good news in here. Yeah, this is definitely good news. And quite frankly, Saber Interactive getting out from under Embracer is also, also good, very news. good news. Yeah, absolutely. So, Toys for Bob is breaking free of both Microsoft and Activision. So the studio best known for Skylanders, as well as the recent Crash and Spyro remasters. Can we talk about the Spyro remaster for a second? It was delicious. Yeah, I love those games on the PS1, man. Man, I did not play them because I didn't have a PlayStation 1. So when I got to play the remastered versions, I was like, is this what I missed from my childhood? Um, So they're going to be potentially exploring a partnership with Microsoft which, you know, may open up some IP opportunities for this storied and incredible studio that, quite frankly, is beloved in this industry. So our fingers are tightly crossed for some Skylanders remakes, minus the toys. Yes. All right. I'm looking up the Embracer Group tripwire thing to see where... Uh, oh, no. It's under... Is it under Saber? It's under Saber. I yeah. could have sworn it was <clears throat> under Gearbox. But you know what it's time for? Are you going to actually I'm going to try. It? Hold on. I'm going to cough first. It's time for quick hits. He still did it, folks. He still did it. He did it in one. So we are quick these are the, hits. These, these are the quickest quick these hits. These are the quickest quick hits because we only have milestones. Yep. So, uh, kicking off. Yeah, Tekken 8 has hit 2 million copies sold worldwide. And it is so good. I got to go finish the story. The story mode is... It's unhinged. There's a Musou moment in it. It's, it's ridiculous. It's utterly unhinged. And it is honestly very, very fun to watch. So... Like Bellatro, mm-hmm. which is a poker roguelike, has grossed um like grossed a million dollars in its first eight hours. Yeah, I, I feel really bad because I didn't actually put in who developed that game, and I want to. They got to get their their the developer is Local Funk. Okay, that's I mean that's cool, but yeah. like Bellatro has mm. absolutely taken players by storm, and our husband is playing it. Lots of our friends are playing it. If I get sucked into another roguelike, I will never get out of it. I'm in the middle of playing Pacific Drive. Mm. 
All right, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, developed by Gun. They're handing it off to, I think, the, the new developers, Black Tower? I, I think so, yeah. Uh, has sold 1.1 million units. I have got to play it. Good for them. I, I want to play it. I honestly want to play it. And I want to play Killer Clowns when it comes out. Oh, no. Yeah. Spider-Man 2 has now sold more than 10 million units. Can we get a round of applause for Insomniac yeah. for a moment? Yep. Like, hello, what a great team. Yeah, we'll be talking about them in just a second, actually, also. And with that... And those were quick hits. Nailed it. I got it in two. You're not going to hear the first one. It was terrible. It was, it was a lot of wavering. Garbage. It's okay, but he didn't make me sing it, so that's what matters. And okay, so listen, we're about to get into the labor report. It is horrid. Yeah. And I do mean horrid. So if you all need to take a break here because you need to save your sanity, that is a-okay. But just know... That we have a treat for you at the end of the show. We do. Because... I'll be singing. I did it my way. Wow. No, you will not be singing anymore today because you need to save your voice. But yeah. no, we got a FAFO coming in. But now, it's time for a break. Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. All right, and we are back with the unfortunate realities of what's going on in labor. All right. Mike's going to kick us off. All right, deep breath before the plunge, and this one this one hurts. A um, lot. A decidedly different tone in the bottom half of the show. Yeah. Uh, starting with Sony. Sony's announced it's laying off 8% of its global workforce, which amounts to about 900 people. And I do want to emphasize that word, people. Every single person in the now close to 24,000 that have been laid off since 2022 is an individual that has their own stress, their own struggles, their own hurts, their own heartbreaks. Um, Potentially disabilities on top of it. Yeah, we saw that was a great piece. Um, From Grant? Uh, yeah. Grant did such a great job on that piece. Go and look it up. It is it is spectacular. Um, the layoffs include the imminent closure, uh, so they've been put into consultation, uh, but that we are expecting this studio to fully close, and it's Sony's London studio responsible for SingStar, <gasps> which was revolutionary in the PS2 Sing era. SingStar, oh my gosh. I have so many fond memories of playing SingStar. Um, also responsible for the Getaway, Wonderbook, and VR titles, Blood and Truth, and I'm not going to read what's in the, in, that I missed the typo in the notes. It's Erica. <gasps> oh, they did Erica. Yes. Got it. Okay. Um, additionally, there have been severe cuts at Fire Sprite Studio in the UK, in part due to the reported cancellation of a Twisted Metal live service game. Now, there are reports also that have come out since Eurogamer was reporting that uh, Fire Sprite, after its acquisition by Sony, um, the leaders of that studio, who were beloved, uh, left and were replaced by people from Sony XDev, and things turned kind of rotten there, unfortunately. Toxic, I believe, yeah. is the word that was used. Eurogamer like pulled together again excellent reporting and investigative journalism there so go give that piece a read yep it's worth noting that five days before the layoffs were announced jim ryan celebrated his retirement at this studio looking developers in the eye that he knew he was about to utterly ruin this is gross this feels dirty if i i, I couldn't as a human being if i knew that we had to go through layoffs and by the way had is such a doing a lot of lifting there but if i knew that that was going to happen i wouldn't walk into that studio glad hand the developers that they that are all going to be out on the street within a matter of months. 
And again, it's only a matter of months because the UK has got better labor laws than the US. Uh-huh. I think actually most of the rest of the world has better labor laws than the US, which Absolutely. actually I mm. go into in the next in the next set of stories. Additionally, layoffs have happened at Insomniac and Naughty Dog. And I got to pause Whoa. here for a minute. This is the third time we're talking about Spider-Man 2 in this episode. Yep. It has sold more than 10 million units as we just covered. It's won a bunch of awards. And not just at the Game Awards, but also so at, at, the Dice Awards, at the Dice Awards. Which they are arguably likely matter like way infinitely more. more. Way, way more. And they're likely going to walk away with more awards at, at, GDC. The, at GDC. Yep. The Last of Us is now a major award-winning show, and the Uncharted movie is likely getting a sequel. Two titles developed by Naughty Dog. Yep. It used to be that bad sales led to layoffs. Now even success isn't keeping developers safe. I also want to take a moment here to share a story that I saw on LinkedIn about a an artist who had been at Naughty Dog for 18 years and suddenly was laid off. That's a lifetime. A lifetime. That, that is, is an a, entire career. At a single studio that this person had shown an immense amount of loyalty to, that clearly loved their job, clearly loved the people they were working with. I mean, 18 years takes us back to, all right, so that's 2024, 2014, 2006. 2006. You know where that takes us to? Jack and Daxter era. It does. Like, this is this is so painful. Um, I also want to take a moment and acknowledge Insomniac's public statement, which was the subtlest form of protest, and they managed to get it through the corporate PR machine, so kudos to whoever wrote this. There's a sentence in there that says, there are no sufficient words to express our feelings about this. That communicates so much while, saying, while staying on the right side of corporate PR. It communicates anger, frustration, sadness, and most importantly, this was imposed on them in a way that feels absolutely devastating. My heart is breaking every time we have one of these stories, and Lord knows we have a lot left to go in this episode. We do indeed. But when I see things like this, when I see massive successes, we have a failure of executive strategy. That is leading to bigger and bigger and bigger budgets that are simply unsustainable. And these are developers that are working on, and I said this over on Twitter, that these are developers that are helping to create some of the most beautiful, technically, technically complex and exceptional games out there. And yes, granted, they are doing it with gigantic budgets, but at the same time, these are studios that have been making games under a variety of different budgets for more years than you and I have been in the industry. Yeah. Sadly, that is not the end of the labor report. Okay. Our second large story here is about EA. EA has undergone yet another round of devastating layoffs, the second in 12 months ahead of their reporting quiet period. They have laid off approximately 5% of the workforce, which amounts to 670 people. Last year, EA laid off 6% of its workforce, which was around 780 people. This is 11% in their, in their workforce reduction over the course of the last 12 months, and it is utterly crushing. And this is one company. One company. One company. Jesus. In addition to the nearly 1,500 <clears throat> people who have lost their jobs at EA over the last year, EA has also made the decision to move away from licensed IP, as well as doubling down on owned IP while investing further into their sports titles. This has meant that the Star Wars FPS that Respawn, a studio that was literally built around FPS and has developed some of the most impactful modern FPS games, 
Hello Titanfall. Mm-hmm. This is a game they were developing. A hundred and a hundred and forty people were on this team, as far as I know. It's just ridiculous. According to our sources, the game was out of pre-production and ambling through the production, a full production process. Jesus. Black Panther and Iron Man will continue development by Cliffhanger Studios and EA Motive, respectively. Mm-hmm. Here's another one for you. After yep. Marcus Leto announced that he was choosing to leave Ridgeline Studios, EA shut down the studio. That I, I, Some will be moving over to Ripple Effect to continue to support Battlefield. So remember, Ridgeline was started up to support a more robust single-player narrative experience for future Battlefield games, which have been decidedly lacking for a number of years in the single-player narrative perspective. It's There have been some wins in that particular regard, but like I think 2042 doesn't have anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Criterion, I guess, is going to be taking over that? That seems like a weird... I mean, again, I still think of Criterion as... The Burnout Studio. I mean, and they've they've certainly moved far beyond that over the years, but also would not... I would be lying to you if I didn't say that I would just prefer Burnout, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, EA is also shutting down a couple of mobile games, including F1 Mobile Racing, which will affect Codemasters, as well as EA Sports, MLB Tap Sports, which was the only MLB game that EA had under its purview. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I really do think that we need to discuss Andrew Wilson's statement here. Yeah. So I'm going to pull it up. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I really think that... I really think that there is so much in here that is lacking in humanity, which is a stark contrast to the Andrew Wilson of five years ago. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And No, you're right. You know, there, you know, there's a lot in here about like, oh, we're leading through an accelerating industry transformation, we're sunsetting games, we're moving mm-hmm. away from the fu- from future licensed IP because we don't <coughs> believe they will be successful in our changing industry. I don't agree with that. Yeah. Um, they want to double down on things like owned IP, sports, massive online communities, which to me s- says what? What they care about is recurrent revenue. That is where yep. this is going. Mm-hmm. In this time of change, we expect these decisions to impact approximately 5% of our workforce. I understand this will create uncertainty and be challenging for many who have worked with such dedication and passion and have made important contributions to our company. Our primary goal is to provide team members with opportunities and transition while it's not possible, blah, blah, blah. I want to extend my appreciation to everyone who has helped contribute to EA's ongoing story. Can we talk about that specific line for a moment, please? I want to extend my appreciation to everyone who has helped contribute to EA's ongoing story. Oh, I this whole thing is just They've lost the thread. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Sorry about the dogs. They are a little unhinged today. I'm, this is speaking in stark contrast to the Andrew Wilson that spoke five years ago. Yep. When he laid off maybe, what, a, a, a quarter of the people that have been laid off, a maybe a third, if we're looking generously. Are we talking about the combined over the last two? Yeah, uh, over the last two. 
It was a lot. They were. It was. It was three hundred. It was three hundred and some odd people that were. That's that it. Were, that's I thought it. it. Was more than that. Nope. No, Activision laid off seven hundred and eighty people in twenty nineteen, and Jesus. they acted. I, I'm telling you, I've had I've had scale creep because of how many because of the numbers. I'm lately. not going to allow myself to be desensitized. Yeah. Every every single person that has lost their job, as we said at the top of the labor report, these are people. And it's very important that we continue to acknowledge that humanity and that real human cost of overly of over optimi- of optimism creeping into corporate strategy. Mm-hmm. You have to be an optimist to a certain degree as a business owner, but that is blind optimism. I don't know how to deal with contribute to EA's ongoing story. That is such bizarre corporate speak. It's like we survive while you don't ongoing story. that's an investor that's an investor focused statement we're not going anywhere then it belongs on their ir well website. and quite frankly and there were a number of paragraphs at the top of that statement if i recall that were very we're strong we're great we're delivering great games but also we're laying off a ton of people yeah these actions have positioned us to build bigger bolder experiences for hundreds of millions of pl- this is this is placating this is placating okay and this also comes mm-hmm. down to when we had this conversation five years ago <laughs> When we were talking about layoffs and studios being shuttered and how heartbreaking it was even back then, it's always heartbreaking to be clear. But this, this is in stark contrast where it was, we are so remorseful. We are so like, it, everything was like soaked in this regret mm-hmm. because it was very clearly spoken to former teammates. It's mm-hmm. very clearly spoken to a community. Mm-hmm. This is spoken to shareholders. Yeah. And well, this goes back to the Lars Winge fours. That is exactly what it Maxim- is. That- we'll, we'll always do things to maximize shareholder value. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Yeah. That ain't it. So thank you for sitting with me in that one. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Moving on. Oh, you want me to take my this stories? One, yeah. It's, yeah. You've got two more in a row. Three more in a row? Two more. Two more in a row. Supermassive has informed 150 people of their 300 plus strong staff that their positions are, quote, at risk of redundancy. This is potentially a 50% reduction in the workforce. This sounds to me like there was something fell through. It does sound that way. We haven't heard anything about Dark Pictures Anthology season or season two, volume two. Which is very unfortunate. We haven't even played the last game. We haven't played the last one, no. Which is... That kind of sucks for us. Although I loved the quarry, the quarry was just yeah. just beautiful. Well, I think the reason why is you and I streamed every single one of those, and then we oh, moved, and, and then we moved. That's what it was. So you see, in civilized countries, people mm-hmm. are often informed well ahead of time and given actual resources to find new jobs. This period, again, in civilized countries, is called consultancy, wherein the company needs to find alternative options to cutting jobs. If you take a look at Supermassive's statement, it was incredibly human, citing how unsettling and difficult this is going to be for everyone. They're not just talking about the people that are directly impacted, but the people that will, quote unquote, survive Mm -hmm. the layoffs. They're acknowledging that this sucks for literally everyone. And they'll be working to be as respectful and compassionate as possible. Oh, boy. But this next one, this next one hits me where it hurts. Digut Fabrik has announced that they are halting production on all upcoming games as they haven't been able to secure funding for their newest prototype to continue. All of the staff have been kept in the loop about this. This isn't a surprise. The news did not go out and like blindside anybody. 
Um, Degut Fabrique actually used their remaining runway to ensure that the staff could have a month of paid time off to, quote, catch their breaths. So they will be taking February through March to just breathe and know that that is paid. That is done. Mm -hmm. The studio is not shutting down, but it is going into a rest state and the staff, other than CEO Nils Denikin, will be moving on to other ventures, which includes narrative powerhouse Hannah Nicklin. DGF was founded in 2008 and is behind absolutely gorgeous narrative experiences like Mutazioni and Salt Sea Chronicles, which was one of my favorite games of last year. All right, we got a bunch of rapid fire ones. Um, this is just, it's it's so brutal. Uh, ESL uh, is next up. Esports, like the rest of the industry, is struggling. And ESL Faceit Group has announced it's laying off approximately 15% of its global workforce, which amounts to somewhere between 250 and 300 people. Remember the Saudis? We talked about them earlier. Uh, they purchased ESL and Faceit for $1.5 billion in January 2022. I do remember that. Yep. And consolidation continues to drive pain and suffering in this industry. Uh, Star Citizen developer Cloud Imperium has finally confirmed rumored layoffs. However, they did not confirm the number of people affected. As a reminder, Cloud Imperium Games has raised more than $667 million for Star Citizen and its single-player game, Squadron 42. Neither has a release date 12 years after CIG ran its Kickstarter. In addition to the layoffs, news has come out... Uh, sorry... News has come out again that the studio fosters a toxic work environment. Uh, Wildlife Studios uh, also announcing layoffs. Brazili they're a Brazilian mobile developer. They've laid off 21% of their staff, which affects 133 people. That's heartbreaking. This is the third layoff round in three years at the studio. They've released more than 60 games with a total of 3 billion downloads. Those titles include War Heroes, Sky Warriors, AFK Football, and Tennis Clash. This is as a result of mobile taking a hit. Yep. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this. Uh, I think it's Kyokin. Kyokin? Okay. So I, I spotted this over on, on LinkedIn. Uh, Kyokin Interactive has announced that it has had to lay off four people of its 19-person team. This comes after CEO Cohen Dietman and managing director Paul Dietman took pay cuts to help mitigate the damage. Kyokin is known for Deliver Us the Moon and Deliver Us Mars. Uh, Radical Forge, a co-development studio that's also working on its second own IP, Southfield, has announced it's laying off six people due to the market conditions. Deck Nine, which is a studio behind beloved narrative games like Life is Strange, True Colors. What the heck else has Deck Nine done? They did Before the Storm. Yeah, so they took over the Life is Strange series they after... They did, um, and I think they worked on... Did they also work on The Expanse? I think they also worked on The Expanse. Okay. With Telltale. Um, so anyway, Deck Knight has done incredible work and full of amazing, amazing people. They're located in uh, Colorado. Yeah, you're right. They, they worked on The Expanse, Life is Strange, True Colors. They did the remastered collection for Life is Strange. Yeah. Uh, they did Before the Storm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, awesome. And then I, then I got it all. Yep. Um, they are. They have announced that they have laid off 20% of its staff, which is another round of layoffs following the narrative team's cuts last year. Yep. Uh, Rockstar is doing exactly what we figured more gigantic studios are going to do in the wake of talent's desperation to keep their jobs. They're mandating a return to office. According to Bloomberg, Rockstar's head of publishing, Jen Colby, said that they will be mandating RTO for five days a week. 
for uh, productivity and security reasons in the lead up to the new GTA games release. Quote, making these changes now puts us in the best position to deliver the next Grand Theft Auto at the level of quality and polish we know it requires alongside, along with a publishing roadmap that matches the scale and ambition of the game. Let's talk about mandatory RTO for yeah. a quick second, because I think that this is really important because this impacts a lot of developers, especially disabled developers mm -hmm. that honestly cannot bloody well go into office because they are dealing with chronic illness, chronic pain. They are best suited to be staying home and not sitting in a car for an hour plus a day or sitting on a train for an hour plus a day, just getting into work. Yeah, absolutely. So, from your perspective, do you think that this is going to become more and more and more of a linchpin within these large studios? or And do you think that smaller studios are going to start following suit? I, I think that we are going to see, uh, and you and I have talked about this, that the one some of the side effects, the knock-on effects of the market being what it is and talent being this being a buyer's market as it were it's really messed up to say it's like an it's an employer's market as opposed yeah. to being a talent market exactly and because of that employers are going to be are going to have more leverage so that if they say this is an in-office job also we're, we're we'll, we'll help you relocate but it's not going to be a lot of money right and you got to move to one of the most expensive cities in the world i mean how many stories have we seen where people took jobs in other countries and got laid off on the tarmac when they landed yep like, this is ridiculous. So I, I think that RTO ultimately hurts studios. I think that I so we too. have proven that you can that we can work remotely. It's not right for everybody. No, it's not. There are lots of people that do flourish in office environments or in co-working spaces mm -hmm. where they can sit down and ideate together in a, in a way that feels right for them. Yep. But for many of us that have been working from home, that have home offices... Like, I have been working from home now for 15 years. Mm -hmm. 15 years I have been working from home. Uh, I'm so, not like to change that anymore. Yeah, so. and of course, employees are very not happy. No, no, they're very, very upset, which is understandable. But they, I think that this is going to be a continued trend for the foreseeable future. And I think that until more and more people push back on this, and they're not able to backfill these roles, yep. make it hurt. Yep. Make it hurt, and part of that is collective action. Absolutely. All right, we got one more before we move on to the FAFA we know you've been waiting weeks for. Um, we do not have a lot of detail yet, but we have now seen on LinkedIn and have gotten some independent reports that there's some downsizing going on at Capcom USA. We don't know the extent yet. We saw, again, a couple of people who suddenly lost their jobs, we're not sure exactly what's going on. It hasn't been widely reported yet, but we're keeping our eye on it. Hopefully we're wrong. But given that we've seen this a couple of times, like we've seen it from, we've, we've got a couple of stories. Yeah. A couple of reports in. We do indeed. So, and given the environment, uh, it, it's certainly not outside the realm of possibility. Okay. So that is the end of the labor report. Normally we would be talking about listener questions um, in this particular position of the show. We do have listener questions that we will get to, but not on this episode. We're going to get to them next episode. Yeah, this has been such a labor heavy episode. Um, yeah, it's just... We want to be respectful, <clears throat> quite frankly, yeah. of how, challenging, of how mm -hmm. challenging things are out there. And this week especially has just been Absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal. But 
Now we get to give out a FAFO award. Yeah, we do. Do you want to give out the FAFO award? No, you get to read the intro. I know how much you love it. I do. So for this week's fuck around and find out award. Whoa, and whoa, only, salty language. Whoa, salty language incoming. So listen, if you've never, if you've never ever listened to an episode where we give away a FAFO, it's, it's, look, we don't do it very often anymore because it feels like the entire executive class in video games deserves a friggin' FAFO award. Yeah. Um, but anyway, point is, we got a FAFO award to give out. So when we give around, when we give out FAFO awards, we pick the person or company in the game industry that has tended their garden from small seeds of fucking around to a sequoia-sized tree of finding out. All right, when are people going to learn not to mess with Nintendo's legal team? Man, just like, don't do it. <sighs> just don't do it. Well, this was first reported by Steven Totillo, formerly of Axios, now running his own newsletter called GameFile. Nintendo has sued a company called Tropic Haze LLC, which sounds like a strain of cannabis, <laughs> which is responsible for the Switch emulator Yuzu, which if you threw another like icky Yuzu on there, it would also sound like a strain of cannabis. Wow. Um, you may recall that a, that a since-deleted official Valve sizzle reel for the Steam Deck included a library title, like a tile, for Yuzu. It's an oh. emulator. And people are like, oh my god, Valve's saying that you can use Steam Deck as an emulator, and you totally can. But... Just know that, that... Tread carefully. Tread carefully. Uh, so that was a big ol' oops. Uh, Nintendo isn't accusing Tropic Haze of distributing games, but the suit alleges that Tropic Haze illegally infringes on Nintendo IP by enabling infringement through its distribution of Yuzu, which illegally cracks the encryption. <sighs> Nintendo has asked the court for $150,000 per game that has allegedly been copied. An injunction against the developers, surrender of the Yuzu websites, seizure and destruction of all copies of the emulator. Put bluntly by Nintendo, quote, There is no lawful way to use Yuzu to play Nintendo Switch games, including because it must decrypt the game's encryption. So what they're circumventing here is, a, well, I own it. I have a backup copy. I'm allowed to make a backup copy because I own, I own the game, right? I own a, a physical copy of the game. Uh, so therefore, I should be able to do what I want. And Nintendo's saying, ah, ah, ah. No, 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 no. Because this breaks our proprietary encryption. It violates our copyright. So while this once again does resurface the conversation about preservation... And it always does when something like this comes up. It does indeed. Going toe-to-toe with Nintendo is always a losing battle. It really, really is. And holy smokes, we kept it under an hour after our marathon session last... Yeah. Was that last week? It was last week. It was nearly two hours. This weekly cadence. We're getting back into the weekly cadence, you see. I mean, but we were in a weekly cadence even last week, and it was still almost two hours. Almost like a week and a half. Was it a week and a half? Yeah. Oh, because we we recorded at Dice. Right. Mm -hmm. And And then we came home dead. We did come home absolutely toast. But thank you for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Virtual Econcast. Mike and I are sadly back on Twitter these days because, well, as much as we both enjoyed our time at Blue Sky, and I did actually really enjoy my time on Blue Sky, uh, my network for the last... It's not... It doesn't grow. 17 years, I want to say, is still on Twitter as much as I hate the platform. So you can actually... You can actually find me on Twitter as not my first and last name anymore. I actually changed it because I was so tired of seeing my display name is Manda, but my handle is Amanda Farrow. Screw it. I'm now Ritual Magic on Twitter. I am also Ritual Magic on Blue Sky. But because I couldn't open up my private Twitter account to remove two-factor authentication via text so that I could delete it, take that. Anyway, it was a whole, it was a whole thing. Um, cause I wasn't able to get into my private account, which has ritual magic, not with a K 
my new Twitter account is Ritual Magic, but with a K at the end. So it's W-R-I-T-U-A-L Magic with a K. We got her to spell it. Don't it took years be an ass. We got her to spell it. I am Footerish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H. Anyway, same kind of stuff over on Blue Sky, but we're not really over on Blue Sky anymore. Yeah. Um, not nearly as much anyway. We're still going to, we still post the show on LinkedIn, on the F Squared account, on our personal accounts. Yep. Uh, you can also subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com. You can listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, Pocket Casters. Always one more than I can. Yeah. Ah, Pocket Sand. Uh, please subscribe. And if possible, review the show. Let us know what you think. You can also DM us with questions. So you can DM us on Twitter. You can DM us on Discord. Um, I'm also Ritual Magic on Discord as well. Or you can send them to podcast at fsquared.biz, which is, um, you know, yeah. pretty easy way to get in touch with mm-hmm. us. Totally. And if you really enjoyed hanging out with us on the show, I bet you'd enjoy hanging out with us on our Discord server. I love our Discord server. I love our community. They're awesome. We have such great conversations in there. So you can DM us to get access to the Discord as well. And with that, that is the end of the episode. So remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. We'll see you next week.